You are listening to Feast Radio, bringing God's love and grace on air. Listen to significant and heartfelt messages you can reflect on and pray about. May this message help prepare you to face challenges, follow your dreams, and open yourself up to God's unlimited blessings. That was so good. Let's pray our favorite prayer at the feast in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Are you ready? Lift up your hands if you want to and say, Today I receive all of God's love for me. Today I open myself to the unbounded, limitless, overflowing abundance of God's universe. Today I open myself to God's blessings, healing, and miracles. Today I open myself to God's Word, so I become more like Jesus every day. Today I proclaim that I'm God's beloved, I'm God's servant, I'm God's powerful champion, and because I am blessed, I am blessing the world. In Jesus' name, all God's people, give the Lord a big hand. Love Him today. He is here. He is in our midst. He is alive, and He loves you. Amen. Amen. How many of you believe that God is here? How many of you believe that God created you great and wonderful and amazing because you are made in His image and likeness? I want you to turn to somebody beside you who is doubting that fact and tell that person, you are wonderful. You are a great person. You are amazing. You are beautiful. You are made in His image. Amen. I know that there is a a group here from the Philippine army. Can we give them a big, big hand? Thank you so much. I don't know where you are, but you are here. There's a good group of people who are here. That's so good. Amen. We're we're just going to... The message I want to preach and and Audie's going to preach in a while is go back to the garden. I, I want you to say that with me. Go back to the garden. Amen. Touch somebody beside you. Tell that person, go back to the garden. Wonderful. You know, you may be telling me, what in the world does that mean? You'll find out. You'll find out. Okay, let's be seated. But the way you sit down is very important for me. Um, Do not slouch. But, but when, the, when, when the Word of God is being preached, you want to you wanna kind of like sit up straight. Are you sitting up straight? Are, are you kind of like leaning in a bit? Because you want to lean into the Word today. I start with my story. I start with my story. May 2021. There was a tiny oximeter, pulse oximeter in my pointer finger. And you know what the reading was? 88. Doctors here will know that the moment the oximeter says 88 or below, you rush that person to the ER. You have to. And uh, you must. But during that time, there was not a single empty bed in any hospital around me. I don't know if you... it was really insane that, that, you know, the line that you see when there's an Avengers movie, that line you see in the ER of hospitals. 
when you go through, when a person goes through a near-death experience, if you allow it, it will transform your life. And that's what happened to me. I experienced a second conversion. So much so that I was able to write a book, Finding Your Surrendered Place, that has blessed thousands of people. How many of you have that book? Or you, you read that book? This one. Because when I thought I heard the creaking sound of death's door opening in front of me, I had no resort but to surrender my entire life to God and all that I held dear, my wife, my kids, my sisters, my friends, I totally surrendered. You had no choice. I said, Lord God, I'm giving you everything. I'm ready to die. And in that beautiful moment, I experienced profound peace deep joy that I have never experienced in recent years. It was just absolutely beautiful. And then it took a whole month to recuperate. So for 30 long days, and that was a good thing because it was like a 30-day retreat for me. With a very weak body, every morning and every afternoon, I would walk to my little backyard. I would sit in a monoblock chair. I would remove my slippers, my, my, my sandals, and I would let my bare feet step on grass. I would let the wind touch my face. And then I would close my eyes, and I would slip back into that surrendered place where I would surrender again everything to God. Totally, completely, 100%. Lord, I'm yours. I'm ready. <laughs> every morning, every afternoon. It was absolutely transformative for me. And when I got better, what I would do is I would take these pauses during, out, during the whole day. You know what? I would take meditation. I would, I would meditate. I would, I would revisit my surrendered place at different times of the day. But then the expected happen. My life got busy again and, you know, traveling again and, you know, doing planning and meetings, etc. One of the things I noticed was this. In my surrendered place during that 30-day retreat, I realized what the surrendered place was. Can you ask me really loud? Where is it exactly? Can I tell you? I realized, you know, 30 days, just getting into that room and being overwhelmed by peace and joy. I said, okay. And then it dawned on me. O-M-G. I knew where I was. I realized the surrendered place was God's heart. I was inside God's heart. And when I was inside God's heart, there was no more worry, no more fear, no more attachments, nothing. I did not feel any of that. Why? Because I was totally, completely, and perfectly loved. You know, in, in, the, in the surrendered place, listen to me. 
It's like all my values were turned upside down. Things that I held dear and things that were important to me were no longer important. I had zero desire to impress people. I had zero desire to prove my worth to people. Why? I repeat, I felt totally, completely, and perfectly loved. There was no need for that. And so this is what happened. I went back to work. My life became busy again. And then I noticed, ask me what? Worry began to creep back into my heart. I noticed that I began to want to impress people again. I began to desire to prove myself to the, wor wor to the world again. And I asked myself why, and I knew why. Because I was spending too much time away from my surrendered place. Did you get me? And so there were two reasons why we get pushed away from our surrendered place. The first is moral failure. Moral failure is basically sin. When we sin against God, when we do not trust Him, when we take matters into our own hands, when we want to define good and bad for ourselves apart from God, when we disobey God, what happens is we, well, we're, we, we push away ourselves from our surrendered place. And I want you to know that Many times we cause our own suffering through our sin. Do I hear, do, do, do I hear an amen? amen? I remember one time I was praying over a guy who had cirrhosis of the liver. And so I prayed for him. And then after praying for him, he looked at me and he said, Brother Bo, tinatanong ko kay Lord, bakit? Why me? You know? And I found that incredulous. Ask me why. Because I knew his wife for a long time now. For the past 23 years, his wife has been asking me to pray for her alcoholic husband. He was a heavy drinker. And so for him to say, Brother Bo, bucket. Why? I could not understand it. And then he saw my face. I did not hide my surprise. I could not. And so he looked at my face and he, he wanted to explain his question. And he said, Brother Bo, kasi lahat ng mga kaibigan ko, mga heavy drinkers lahat kami, ako lang nagkasakit. So, you know, it's really funny because we, we, we want to play Russian. You, you, you know what I'm talking about? The, the loading of a six-shot revolver, right? And then you spin spin it, and then you, you, you cock it on your head, and then you pull the trigger, and when it explodes, you blame God. But, but that's, what, that's a very common problem. So we, we do, at different times in our lives, cause our own suffering. At many times, because of sin, we push ourselves away from our surrendered place. But there's a second reason that pushes away from our surrendered place. Ask me what? Material failure. Not all suffering comes from our sin. No. M many and much of our suffering comes from living in a broken world. We live in a universe where things go wrong. Listen to me. I am living a good life. I've got a wife I, to love and I've got kids to raise and I've got ministries to lead and I've got businesses to run. These are all good things. But guess what? Good things come with problems. And so even in my busyness, doing good things 
it's very possible that I get distracted. It's very possible. And it's not sin. It's just the fact that I'm living a life in this world. Are you listening to me? We live in a universe where everyone dies. You will die. Everyone you know will die. Last time I checked, the mortality rate, the fatality rate of human beings is still 100%. The universe that we live in is broken. Guess what? We live also in a universe where there are earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and super typhoons and floods that decimate thousands, maybe even millions of people. Now think with me. Why is that? Why do we live in a universe where a drunk driver can hit a four-year-old kid on the road? Because that's the kind of world we live in. And the earlier we embrace it, the better that life has a lot of suffering in it and we did not cause it. And that is part of the brokenness of our life. And so what should we do? Ask me, what should I do? Whether it be moral failure or whether it be material failure, the call, the solution is still the same. Run back to your surrendered place. You have to go back to the garden. Can I invite you to stand up? Reverence the word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're going to read Leviticus. And for the next 10 Sundays, Leviticus. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle. And it says, <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle. We're, we're going to continue reading that. And, and I'm praying that the Lord will speak to you and that that tabernacle, which is also a garden, which is also my personal interpretation, the surrendered place, that's where God wants us to go back to. Lift up your hands. I'm sorry. Put your hand over your chest. And everybody say, Jesus, speak to me powerfully. You know what I need to hear. You know what I'm going through. The questions in my heart, the burdens I am carrying, your word I receive, and I will be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand, everybody. Ask somebody beside you, are you ready for Leviticus? Please welcome Audi. Morning, everyone. It's okay. You can take your seats. Welcome. Can you touch your neighbor and say, welcome home. We got Doc Ryan right here in the house of God. Hello, Doc Ryan. Oh, so good. I missed you guys. You know, for the past few weeks, I have just been enjoying, attending, and being part of this beautiful family. And today I get to preach. Praise God. 
I want to welcome all of you to our brand new series called Closer. Can everybody shout that word? Closer. 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 Brother Bo already announced it, what we're studying. But I wanted to take you a little to a little recap. You know, we studied, what did we study a few months ago? We started the first book of the Bible, which was what? Genesis. And then we said that Genesis is not a standalone book. It has a continuation, the sequel, which is? Exodus, that's right, the second book. And now we're talking about and opening the third part, the third book. We're back in the journey in the desert. We came from the garden, went to Egypt, and now we're back in the wilderness. But, you know, I just want to know who I'm talking to right now. Just by raising your hands, can anybody honestly say, anybody here who has read the entire book of Leviticus, raise your hand. We got Louis here in front. We got just one person there. Okay, let me rephrase that. Anybody read even just a few verses of Leviticus? Raise your hand. So still just a few people. Okay, let me just say this differently. Do you know that there is a book in the Bible called Leviticus? <laughs> okay. You do know that there is a Bible. Okay, just so we're on the same page. So the reason why I believe that people, you know, just by showing their hands, a lot of people don't, have never really read Leviticus. You want to know why? Ask me why. Because it's weird. Agree? People who have read it, it's weird, right? Because Leviticus, if you open the book, it's got all of these strange, ancient, archaic laws and rules that somehow do not make sense to us. I mean, some of these, we cannot even relate. I'll give you some examples, okay? There is this rule, they said, one of the laws there that I found so funny is that they said that you cannot enter into the house of God or, or you cannot enter into God's presence if you cut the side of your hair. You know, this part. If you cut that. You know, if that was still something that we were practicing today, you know, the only people who would be able to enter into God's presence would be the likes of, you know, Elvis Presley. You know him? Or, or John Lennon. Or 12-year-old Justin Bieber. <laughs> Or our 20-month-old daughter, Ellie. Look at that. <laughs> Shaggy. Shagilid lang yung buhok. Hindi tumutubo sa harapan. That's just one of the laws that, that I found so, so, so strange. Another law, and I think that women might cringe when you hear this. There was a law that, that prohibited people from sitting in the same spot where, uh, get this, where a menstruating woman sat on or laid down on. That's weird, Right? In modern context, how would you even know? Would you be carrying around like a magnifying glass, checking for blood? How, how does that even work? And then here, here's something that I found so weird, so weird. Check this out. Leviticus has seven chapters, I'm not kidding, seven chapters dedicated on animal sacrifices. Is that interesting to some of you here? Animal sacrifices? Anybody got a date with a goat after the feast? You, you got to schedule slicing the, 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 the throat of a goat and then draining it of its blood and burning that and offering to God. Anybody? <laughs> These are the laws that stated in Leviticus. That's why, you know, the question is, Brother Audi, if Leviticus cannot be directly applied in our life, why are we even going to study it, right? I like that word directly because while it is true that we cannot directly apply it in our life, here's the thing. When you start reading the book of Leviticus, you know what it'll, it'll give you? It'll give you a beautiful glimpse of God's heart. And here's something that I want you to hear. Are you listening? Okay. It reveals to you 
what God wants for you. Come on, how many of you want to know what God wants for you? You want to know what God wants for you? Okay, listen to this. God wants you to come closer to Him. Isn't that beautiful? God wants you to come close to Him. That's why if when you start reading this, you know, that's a beautiful thing that we're going to study here in Leviticus because you need to know this, okay? Two things first. I want to get this out of the way. In order for us to understand this ancient text, two things. The first one is that. It's an ancient text. It belongs in, an, in the ancient world with an ancient culture that if you read it with modern lenses, chances are you're not going to get it. So you got to read this in the context of what was happening back then. And the second reason is that, you know, this is not a standalone book. It's not like one of those books that you decide to read the Bible one day and then you think, okay, I'm going to read Leviticus and then you're going to understand it. No, it's not going to work for you because it's a book that's a journey. You start from Genesis to Exodus to Leviticus and then ne next, next time we're going to study Numbers and then Deuteronomy. It's a five-part series. So you cannot read this like a standalone book. It's not like one of those Marvel Cinematic Universe movies where you watch one movie, you appreciate it for its entertainment value and that's fine. You go home happy. This one, you got to read it as a journey. Okay? And that's beautiful. I needed to say that because that's what really the Bible, what the Bible stands for. The Bible, think about this. When you're reading the Bible, it's one gigantic jigsaw puzzle. And then each book from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, it's one jigsaw piece with one unified and powerful message that there is a God who wants you to draw closer to Him. That's right. That's what we're going to talk about today. Everybody say one more time, closer. And Leviticus is so interesting because it asks this ultimate question. How do we get closer to the Lord? Remember how in Genesis where it all started? Can I ask the people here? Where did it all begin in, in Genesis? It all started where? In the garden. Right? But here's a follow-up question. Did it end in a garden? It's not a trick question. Did it end in a garden? No. It ended in exile. It ended with the eviction of Adam and Eve from the house of Big Brother. Right? That's what happened. That's why if you notice, you realize that every event from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament with Jesus at, 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 that, at that story, it's a God who's been trying to get His people back into the garden. Where's the garden, by the way? Brother Bo answered it already. Is it a place? It's a place of surrender? That's right. It's not really so much of a place. I mean, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a P.O. box. You can't Google it. You can't waste it. It's not so much of a location, but it's more of a disposition. Like you can be in the garden right now, sitting where you are, because that's a place where you feel closest to God. It can be any place where you are closest to the Lord. You dwell in God's heart. I love that. That's so beautiful. That's why, you know, when we studied Genesis and we found out what life looks like inside the garden, that place where God and man were connected. They were one. That was beautiful. It was a beautiful relationship. There was balance. There was abundance. But then we saw in Exodus what life looked like outside of the garden. We were introduced to the evil that is Egypt. Now Egypt is a representation of everything that the garden is not. It's what life looks like outside of the garden. And make no mistake, life outside of the garden, there is turmoil. There's torment, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's hardship. 
beyond your wildest imagination. That's why what did God do? God raised up another man, a new Adam. What was his name? What? Moses, right? God raised up Moses to lead his people. Were you here during the study of Exodus? You forgot, because that was last, that was so last year, right? <laughs> so he raised Moses to lead the people out of Israel on to the mountain of God, which, by the way, think about this, was the new Garden of Eden. Because you know that the Garden of Eden was up on a mountain, and the new mountain, the new garden was up on Mount Sinai. But here's a question. Were they successful in making that into the new garden? Anybody? Were they successful? No. Because just like their ancestors, Adam and Eve, who rejected God, the Israelites also rejected God. How? By deciding not to go up the mountain. They stayed in the mountain. That's why it says here, I'll read it to you. This is how God designed it. He says that this is the place in Exodus chapter 29, verse 45. God says, then I will live among the people of Israel and be their God in Mount Sinai. But it never happened. Why? Because the people chose not to be with their God. They did not want to go up the mountain. So you know what God did? Ask me what? Because the people did not want to go up the mountain, God came down the mountain. God came down the mountain. Now, I don't know who this message is for, but that encourages me so much. You know, there are people here who might feel lonely, who might feel desolate, who might feel abandoned, but I want you to know that God will come if you can in moments when you feel like you don't have the legs, you don't have the energy, you don't have the faith, God is going to be the one to come into your situation. Does that encourage somebody here today? To know that there is a God who since day one has been trying to get you back into the garden? God, God said, he, he gave instructions to the people of Israel. He said, I want you to build this tabernacle, this sacred tent where God and man would dwell together. That was God's that was God's idea. But here's the thing. The problem is, you know, God wanted His people. But the people didn't want their God. The first commandment that God gave while He was up on the mountain, and He gave it to Moses on the very first iPad, that tablet. What was that first commandment? You shall not have other gods beside me. And precisely at that moment, what were the Israelites doing? They were fashioning a golden calf out of the jewelry that they had. The gold earrings, the gold necklaces. Did you know that we still do this today? That we would replace God with something that we think is so worthy of Him. But something that's so completely worthless. Let me say it this way. We, we trade God for gold. We trade God for the newest fad or the newest trend or the newest thing. That's why, you know, this is just on me. Let me share something personal. This is just on me, okay? I realized that in this time of my life, you know what I found out? I do not own a single expensive thing that I do not fully utilize. I own expensive stuff. I own a car. I own some gadgets. I own you know, some, some properties. But I make sure that I make use all of it because why? Once upon a time in my life, I, I used to buy really expensive shoes. And, and, and if you still do that, that's on you, okay? But for me, I don't buy expensive shoes anymore. You want to know why? Because I realized that whenever I own expensive shoes, whenever it would get scratched up 
or get dirty or sometimes even get lost or misplaced. You know what would happen? I would feel discouraged. I would be frustrated. And right now, I've got kids. Parents, raise your hands. Don't you just hate it when your kids step on your shoes when they're really clean? I hate it. That's why I don't want to own any expensive shoes. Why? Because it's just going to get stepped on by my kids. What is my point? My point is this. I want to tell somebody here today that God is not against you owning things. God is against things owning you. Sometimes it's the very things that you purchase that become your God. And whenever that thing gets lost, whenever that thing gets damaged, you cry like it's your God. That's the story of Exodus. God freed the Israelites from Egypt. They were out of Egypt. But you know what? All it took was just one week for some of them to wish like they were back in Egypt. Some of you have been returning to places that God already rescued you from. Come on, speak to me. Say amen if you agree. Some of you are returning to prisons that God already freed you from. That's Exodus. Why? Because we treat things, sometimes even people, like they're our God. And this is why, you know, Exodus ended badly. In Exodus, you know what happened? God said, I wanted you to build, I want you to build a tabernacle where you and I can dwell together. But you know what? When they built that tabernacle, nobody could enter except the high priest. Not even Moses could enter into that. Why? Because there were a lot of conditions. And then this is where Leviticus comes in. Now we get to the good part. Because Leviticus prescribes specific guidelines on how people can get back into that garden. In other words, they, they prescribe a specific way for humanity to be able to enter into the tabernacle. But here's a question. Was it successful? You're going to find out in the book of Numbers. Next time we read the book of Numbers, you're going to find out. But can I give you a little spoiler alert just because you're so quiet right now? Can I give you a little spoiler alert? Is that okay? Okay. In Leviticus chapter 1 verse 1, Brother Mo read this earlier. It says that the Lord called to Moses from, everybody say from. The Lord called to Moses from the tabernacle. What does that mean? It means that Moses was outside. God was inside. But check this out. In the book of Numbers chapter 1 verse 1, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle. What does that mean? It, Moses, it means that Moses got in. He's in the tabernacle. So question, how do people now get into the tabernacle? Would you like to know how? Okay, five people would like to know how. How about the others? Would you like to know how? Okay, three ways, three ways. And I hope that you're listening. It's going to get a little complicated, but I hope that you can follow me. Three ways. The first is called ritual sacrifices. Everybody say ritual sacrifice. Second is called ritual purity. Say ritual purity. And the third one is called moral purity. Say moral purity. Now, among these three, the one that we can probably really understand would be moral purity. Because moral purity is really nothing but ethics. I mean, everybody has basic ethics in their DNA, right? Basic ethics is about being moral, like loving your, your, your spouse, loving your neighbor, being good to people, loving the poor, loving the migrants, you know, not practicing incest, not killing people. While some of you might think, well, you know, some people don't have that. Some people kill other people. Some people, other, other people practice incest. Okay, so other people might not have all of that morality with them, but at least this is the, the least that we can understand from those ways. Because the other two, I'm telling you, the other two will blow you away because you will not be able to relate. Like for instance, that first one. Ritual sacrifices or animal sacrifices. When was the last time you killed a cow 
and then burn it up and offer it to the Lord. Anybody here? Which kind of makes me wonder, how does killing Billy the goat or Clarabelle the cow or Danny the dog make me more worthy to be in God's presence? Because, I mean, if anything, it's going to make me less liked by my vegan family, right? And here's the other thing, ritual, ritual purity. Ritual purity is all about this. They had this rule that you cannot enter into the tabernacle of God if you had skin impurities. Back then, they had you know, leprosy. They had really, really wild skin diseases. But nowadays, you know, this bad acne count? You mean to tell me that if I have pimples, if I have a breakout, I cannot be in the presence of God? Not only do I feel insecure about myself, but you know, God is now rejecting me. Is that what it is? So it's something we cannot understand. And here's something for the food lovers. All the foodies, make some noise. <laughs> they had this rule that you could not eat tahong, shellfish, crab. And you know, for foodies, nowadays, it's a little bit different. You know, you can have an eat-all-you-can buffet of crabs and Vikings and still worship the Lord after, right? But that can happen because our ways have changed. But I'll give you the reason why we cannot understand this because we're looking at it from a different perspective. The only way that you're going to understand Leviticus is this way. If you go down to the meaning of each ancient symbol and get the context, like for instance, what was the reason why they did not allow people to go? Unclean people, for instance, are not allowed to go inside the tabernacle. Simple. Because to them, they believe that before you can enter into the Holy of Holies, you need to discard all ancient symbols of death, uncleanliness, menstruation, skin impurities, sin. Because they believe two things. Number one, that life inside the house of God is clean. It's pure. It's holy. Anybody that, goes, that, that comes from outside, life outside the garden is broken. So if you go inside broken, you are not worthy. That's what they believed in. And the second thing is that they all believed that everybody is meant to go into the garden except that nobody could go because everybody was full of sin and dirt and filth. That's why it makes us realize today, my friends, sometimes we think that in order to be holy, we got to do holy things. We go to the feast, we pray the rosary, we do our novenas, we be good to other people in order to be holy. But when in fact, that's not true. The way to be holy, listen to this, is by being close to the one that is holy. The answer is proximity. Everybody shout proximity. You become holy by being close to the one who is holy. And not only proximity, because I believe this, that proximity without intimacy is nothing. There are people who live in homes that have broken relationships, right? So sometimes proximity is nothing. Just because I'm close to you doesn't mean that we're intimate, that we're close, that we're personal. When you're close to the Lord and when you're intimate to the Lord, that's when you become holy. I'd like to close this way. Can, can I ask you to stand before, before I give you the parting message? Is this helping anybody? Yeah? It's a hard talk. It's a hard message. And we're just in talk one. So pray for us. Pray for the preachers. Pray for the, the ones who will deliver this message. But I want to give you a story. May I share one quick story before we leave? When I was courting my, my, my wife, my ex-girlfriend then, her name is Christelle, I had a hard time courting her. And I know what some of you are thinking. Just being honest. <laughs> 
My wife is watching online. She's probably cringing right now. But it, it, was, it was not easy. It was not easy because my, 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 my wife, I mean, Christelle, belongs to us. She has three siblings, and she's the only girl. Anybody, any only girl here? Only girl, only girl. Only girl. You, you, you probably know this. And, you know, your parents are more overprotective when you're the only girl. Because the girl is, you know, she's a princess of the house. And she has three brothers. Can we show that picture of her family? That's Gian, that's Mark, and that's Neil. They're all standing. And, you know, they look like people who can easily beat me up. Because they're huge. I mean, but they're good people. It's just that when, when I met them for the first time, I was so intimidated with these brothers. You know, I look like, like the bunso of the family. And so you know what I did? I, I made a commitment early on because I, I really wanted to get to know Christelle that I was going to not just win Christelle, but I was going to win her family. I was going to win her friends and her relatives. And you know what? Uh, I did every effort. Her family has an unspoken rule that I could not take her home when we go on a date more than 12 midnight. And for some people, that's hard. You know, you want to have a good time. It's wholesome, but you got to be home. So for three years while we were dating, I took her home before 12. I think the latest that we ever got was 11.59, but it was still technically before 12. And, and it was good because, you know, after, th after some time, I finally won, not just Christelle, but I won her family. I won her relatives. I won her friends. And it was beautiful. And um, why am I sharing? What's my point? Ask me what. In the book of Leviticus, there are 251 laws that, that some of you might think, 251 laws? I mean, just for me to get close to God? That's, that's, that's a lot of effort, right? Listen to me. Every great relationship will always have a cost. It'll cost you some. It'll cost you a little bit of sacrifice. It's going to cost you a little bit of tears. You know this. It's going to cost you a little bit of, of headache. It's going to cost you a little bit of heartache. It's going to cost you some resources. Every great relationship will have a little bit of sacrifice. And what I've learned the hard way through my wife, Christelle, is that things come at a cost. Because every worthwhile thing in this world, it usually requires a little bit of waiting and sometimes a little bit of working. Because the truth is, if God gave you the blessing right away without even you working for it, you know what's going to happen? You're not going to have faith. You're not going to have trust. You're going to think that it's easy to get your way. You're going to turn out to be a spoiled child. And God doesn't want that. So God requires that we believe in Him, that we trust Him, that we work with Him, and that we wait with Him. That's why single ladies, can I, can I see your hand, single ladies? Come on, give me some noise, single ladies. Can I give you a little dating tip? May I? May I? I want to make sure. If a guy says that he's interested in you, but he doesn't make every effort to get to know you, <laughs> scratch them. Then you got to rethink that. Because every great relationship, it, it has to cost you a little bit. Of something I mean it's got a 251 loss that's a lot of loss but how many of you know that every relationship with God is a worthwhile relationship so you got to work in the relationship you got to seek him every day you got to lean in on God as much as you can you got to attend mass regularly go to confession regularly and yes it will cost you some but in the end it will be worth it it will be worth it, my friends. And the only way I can take this message home, of course, is 
I want to bring back that man, the name above every other name that knew what sacrifice is all about. Because he knew that coming down on earth would have a cost. It would cost him his life. It would cost him pain. It would cost him suffering. But that's what love does. It costs you. But to Jesus, he followed his father, even though there was a cost. Because the cost of not being with the father was far too greater than feeling the pain bodily pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. The cost of not being with your God is so much greater than the suffering that you endure in this world. You know what Jesus did? Jesus followed the Father. And He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we follow Jesus, that's the way. But you know what? Following Jesus is not easy. Carrying your crosses every day is not a Walk in the park. Forgiving people and turning the other cheek is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to wake up every day and say, Lord, I follow you. I will do the right thing. I will do the moral thing. I will be upright. I will be honest. I will have my integrity intact. I will not sell my soul to corruption. That is hard. But I'm telling you, in the end, it is worth it. It truly is. It'll be worth it in the end. And let me just say this. You know the difference between winning Christelle's heart and winning God's heart? I needed to win the heart of my wife. When it comes to God, you don't have to do that. You already have His heart. You already have His love. All you got to do is just run up to the Father. And I hope and pray that someone here who is far away from the Lord and you've walked away from His house, you've walked away from the garden, I don't know who you are, but you know exactly where you are and who you are. And you've walked away from that house just like the prodigal son. But I want you to imagine this. Because just like the prodigal son who realized that on the day that he was suffering that there's really nothing compared to the house of God. You know what he did? He walked back. And when the father saw the son, it didn't take much for the father to, to do what he did. As the son kept walking, it says that the father came running. I believe that when God sees you coming, he'll be the first one to come running. 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 Running to you with open arms. And I believe this is the house of God. This is the place where you're going to turn your life around today, this year. And you're going to come back in the house of God and enter into His garden, this beautiful place where you're meant to be. Can I ask you to lift both hands in the air? Jesus, look at your children. Look at your son. Look at your daughter. We are all here for you. Even those online, raising our hands and declaring that you are our God. And today we make this bold declaration and decision that we're going to go back to you. We're not going to walk. We're going to run. We're going to head down. We're going to bolt down the door. And we're going to bolt through the door and, and enter into your garden, into that beautiful place. We're not going to waste one moment, one second, and one minute of our life here on earth without going back to you and without having life with you. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you are our way and you are the truth and you, you will be our life from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to Feast Radio and open yourself to God's grace. For more podcasts like these, visit feast.ph slash radio.